Hello, my name is Ben McCarthy and welcome to this week's episode of Anything But Square. Today's episode is actually part of a very special mini-series which is around Fed Square's summer of classic films and I am very much delighted to be joined by my fellow Fed Squareans Sarah and Luke. How are you guys? Here he is. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How I think I'd like to use this opportunity to ask both of you to actually give yourselves a quick introduction. Sarah, sure. do you want to go first? Sure. So my name's Sarah. I'm the curator of public programming at Fed Square. So I'm basically responsible for all the things you you see sort of happening in and around Fed Square and, and on our virtual square, obviously with the assistance of our amazing events team and, and marketing team, but um, that's essentially my role. And that's a, a lovely segue to myself. My name is Luke um, and I am part of the events team. So I'm part of the team that helps deliver some of those amazing ideas and concepts that Sarah comes up with and she hands over to us and then we do kind of the logistics and, and the kind of end-to-end stuff on the ground, um, obviously internally as well as stuff from the community and third-party events. So that's what I do and just letting you know I'm very excited to be here. So I very much think that one of obviously the main reasons why we are all together recording this podcast is that we are all big movie fans. Like we love movies. We always kind of talk about movies. We all do kind of, you know, little mini quizzes together and we all have various creative discussions around films that we all may or may not like. So how did the Fed Square summer of classic films come about? Uh, well, I can only speak from from my experience with you, Ben. Sitting close to each other and, and a lot of the times on Zoom now, we often have discussions about classic 80s films. I'm a person who loves all things cinema anyway, but I think there's there's always a heated debate about, you know, those classic films versus those that are so bad they're good versus those that are actually just really bad. <laughs> so, so for me, it was really exciting to be part of the process to help select some of the films that I grew up with to showcase at Fed Square across summer. I think it's an interesting one as well with how um, comedy has moved in terms of films. For instance, when you look at something not necessarily well, comedies nowadays versus back in the days, as well as these kind of adventure films, and you know, it's it's, it's an interesting choice. So I think you guys have done very very well with uh, your selection of movies for um, for this series. So. And you're making it difficult for yourselves going forward, to be fair. Uh, I think you've ticked a few boxes in terms of big names. Well, it's actually a good point that you make, Luke, because it's, it's actually funny. Some of the movies that were classics from when you were a kid, you look back on now and go, there is no way we could show that on the screen at Fed Square because it's no. just not appropriate anymore. So it, oh, it well, makes it quite 100%. tricky. So. I think that's very much the case um, with a lot of kind of slapstick comedies from even from the nineties. I think the nineties has got a bootload of comedies like you know your Ace Ventures and your Dumb and Dumbers and stuff now, where it's just you just can't show that stuff anymore because it's too, you know, it's a wee bit cringe, if you will, for twenty twenty one anyway. How do we select these films? Like I think predominantly most of the time, Sarah, it's basically just you and me just talking constantly and yeah. just throwing random films out and then just and talking about think movies that evoke like memories of when you were little and you know those experiences where you went to the cinema with your friends and it was like this huge film at the time and that nowadays you know with my niece and nephew we bring up those those film titles and they've never heard of them and you're like how could you not see this movie and so you want to sort of give them the opportunity to experience those same films that you did so that you have that they have those memories as well so there's um yeah, there's heaps of films that, I mean, I grew up watching films. I mean, I'm surprised actually when I talk to some of my friends, they're like, oh, I haven't seen that. And I'm like, how could you have not seen that? Like, it's insane to me. But then I think, well, I must have been, um, even when I was young, really into cinema because I seem to have seen most movies that um, a lot of my friends haven't necessarily seen, which is, yeah, strange to me. But Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Sarah. I reckon it's, it's one of those ones where you kind of baffle when you hear that people haven't seen some because some of them are effectively part of pop culture nowadays. Like you find yourself, at least with the movies that we've selected at least, everybody knows a quote. They're still being used in day-to-day stuff where, 
you know, whether it's on a TikTok or it's like a, some, a little bit of content, there's always references to films like these. And I think they're the ones that will just live on because how unique they are for the time. And yes, there is a situation where you'll go back and they've had to put it into HD and restore it in so many different variants because, you know, it, it looks it looks garbage when you watch it back in 1976. But it is what it is, you know? And these ones are classics. Absolutely. Mm. I'd, say, I'd say for me personally, it's like I think most of the films that, I've, that, that I grew up with, I found on VHS which obviously to some people who may not know what VHS is, they're basically video cassette tapes that you then watch on, on, your, on, on your very old school 4x3 TV. And I feel that one of the other appeals of all of these kind of like outdoor film screenings is actually getting a chance to see one of your favourite films on a, big, on a big screen outside. Yeah. Or even in an indoor cinema. I know like for me... I think most of my cinema trips these days is actually just to rewatch old films I've never seen mm. in a cinema before. I know over the past couple of weeks, you know, I rewatched, I, I watched when Harry met Sally, you know, in the cinema, which is wonderful, you know, and even actually before then, I um, probably one of my favorite experiences I've had recently was seeing Heat, um, mm. the Michael Mann, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Cops and Robbers movie. Where, which was just absolutely mind blowing. Purely, obviously, when you get to that shootout in um, in Los Angeles, it was oh, it was you, yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. Do you think, being that um, you know pre COVID, there was a lean towards showing old films in boutique cinemas, or do you think that's become more predominant during COVID? I think it was always there. I think the difference is now is that because of because of COVID. And because there's the whole, because there's the ongoing discussion around distribution versus, you know, around day-to-day releasing. So obviously day-to-day releasing is obviously, is, is where, is where you release a film in both the cinema and also on, you know, online, video on demand, DVDs, all that kind of stuff. And so I think what cinemas are realizing is that even more so is it's like as another way to get people back is to actually show those older classic movies that people really love to watch yeah. and to really kind of have that experience again. And also as well, probably actually just to make them feel comfortable coming back, you know, and to really be familiar with everything again. And as I said, it's really great to see, I think, you know, um, to really obviously see any of those films that you that you've also loved as a kid, but also as well use that as an opportunity to see an older film that you may have not seen before, and the first time you get to see it is in the cinema, which I think is is equally precious and astounding. And hopefully, I mean, hopefully we'll be able to get back there sooner. I just said my next cinema trip is actually is is actually to see Goldeneye, which I'm ex- really excited about. Oh wow, that would be nice. <laughs> It's, it's funny because I know that Roxy Cinema in New Zealand. I think I've told you this before. Mm. I've been there. I've been there once, but my brother goes every year. They rescreen the Lord of the Rings trilogy every mm. year, and quite often it started off as just like a, you know, just a nod towards something epic that was filmed in New Zealand. You know, in the back end of the nineties and early two thousands. But as it's kind of progressed now, they have guest speakers that come in and talk. It, it actually used to be a marathon on one day and used to do the extended versions. You'd start in the morning and you'd finish like almost at midnight um, with breaks mm. in between. And now they've obviously seen that's a little bit ludicrous. So now they just do the they'll do the Friday screening, the Saturday screening and the Sunday screening of all, all three films and they're extended versions. But they have a guest speaker come in between each, at the start of each film and it'll be, you know, it'll be like a stunt double from the horse rides when they're running into Ministerith or they'll talk you through some of the stuff that they got away with, which is a little bit, you know, health and safety wise couldn't be done these days. And some guy comes in and talks about all the material that they, they it's, it's, it's an amazing thing they do each year. And like, if anyone ever get the chance pending, we can get a bubble or just international travel. It's worth a wee nudge. Luke, your movie marathon experiences are far different than what mine ever were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We didn't care what was playing in the movie marathon. We were just glad we got to stay out that late. So that was yeah. our, <laughs> yeah. our yeah. night out. You know, when you're 13 and you get to stay out till like midnight because there's a movie marathon, you didn't really care what was playing. You were just excited that you got to stay out late with your friends. Half the time you would spend leaving the cinema to go out and hang out together anyway. So yeah. 
Yeah, nice. I mean, I'll do you one better, Ben. I used to watch movies even before VHS when they were on beta tapes. (laughs) (laughs) We were one of those idiot families that bought a beta machine that lasted the whole of maybe 12 months and then everything went to VHS. So, you know, we had to wait to get the VHS player. So I had to watch the same movies over and over again. So what you're also saying, Sarah, is that you and your family didn't necessarily jump onto the Laserdisc bandwagon very quickly, did they? Oh, no. We were on beta tape for a couple of years and we got VHS and that was really exciting because it meant we could actually watch 90% of the, the, the videos at the video store because I remember when um, beta came out, it was you'd go to the video store and there might have been a hundred videos. There wasn't many to choose from. And then, you know, when VHS came out, it was this huge thing and the whole, you know, renting videos was this huge deal and you went down and there'd be thousands of videos in there, but we couldn't watch any of them for a good two years because we didn't have the right player. It's actually the first film that I ever saw on beta tape. Um, It was one that I sneakily watched um, while my parents were watching it, was Alien. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was one of my first things. So you can imagine, as a, I think I was around seven, seeing that thing come out of that woman's chest <laughs> in Alien. Uh, it was amazing. Alien 2. Oh, was that Alien 2? Alien 1 was the one with the man's chest. Was it the man's yeah. chest? What happened in the first one? I remember something happened. I'm sure it was the first one. Aliens. That's the first one with uh, with like Paxton and stuff, and and it's what's the girl's name? The so Weaver. Weaver. No, no, no there, was Weaver. there was Alien, which is the first one, which is by Ridley Scott. Yeah, that's that, yeah. the one I saw. Yeah, yeah, which 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 had I think it was John Hurt. Yeah, he, he was the android. No, uh, oh, no, no, I, Ian, no. Was he? Ian Holm was the android. That's right. John that's Hurt. right. Was, was unfortunately the person who had an alien burst out That's of the chest. That's right. Yeah, because I, I think is Aliens the one with Bishop, who's the android mm. bro. Yeah, 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 that's the second yeah. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, those that's are that's, that, that's a trilogy, isn't it? God, that. Well, it's more than it's more than a tri- it's more than a trilogy, but the o, the OG three Alien Aliens, and then the what was the last one was just the. Just aliens is this? Alien three. Yeah, but then there was Alien Resurrection. Yeah. Is that the one with Renata Ryder? Yes. Yeah. Alien Resurrection wasn't too bad. And then there's a then there's a discussion as to whether or not any of the Alien versus Predator movies count. Yeah, and then then someone told me Prometheus was meant to be pre. Alien, yeah. and I was like, really? Yes, I didn't see the connection, but I mean, apart it from is. the eggs, the eggs were about I, the only thing that I saw that were similar. Yeah, it's a shame because Alien versus Predator, I was excited about that because I'm an OG Predator fan. That would be in my top three Arnold Schwarzenegger films of all time, without a doubt. And that was that OG Predator was next level. And then the Predator and Aliens concept kind of got a little bit, I don't know, I felt like it was a little bit far fetched, but still a good watch. I'd actually still maintain that Alien vs. Predator Requiem, the second one, is actually pretty decent to the point where, spoilers, the point where my favourite bit is actually, is actually at the end when, when when the human race just basically take the nuclear option and just wipe out everything, which I found quite funny in a, in a very Alien vs. Predator kind of way. But Luke, you actually made a very, very good point about about Carl Weathers because Carl Weathers is actually is uh, actually features in our first summer <laughs> films screening, which is Rocky, which is the Sylvester Rocky. Stallone classic 1976 movie, which basically launched him into stardom. And I might as well just give a quick synopsis just in case if no one has actually ever watched Rocky before. So Rocky tells the story of, of Rocky Balboa, a small-time boxer from working-class Philadelphia, is, is arbitrarily chosen to take on the reigning world heavyweight champion, Apollo Creed, played by Carl Weathers. Just quickly, if I can take you back there for a second, were you saying that you didn't think that Carl was in Predator as Dylan? Oh, no, no, no. He was in Predator as Dylan, but I was saying, like, wrong movie, so we are talking yeah. about Rocky, not Predator. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. I, was, yeah. I, was, I was about to say, I was about to come after you there. 
<laughs> Which, to be honest, quick, quick, like quickly on Predator, it probably has one of the best, not necessarily arm wrestle, but actually kind of the best oiled, dual pumped bicep like mid shot ever like committed on film. You actually know where they do their handshake, and then there's a like, close up of both their huge yeah. biceps, and you see the veins and stuff like that, and you go. I mean, fair play, but at the same time, I actually kind of look at my own like weakling like biceps and I just kind of cry. I can actually quote that scene as well if you want me to, mate. I'm going then. Dylan, you son of a bitch. <laughs> What's wrong? CIA got you pushing too many pencils? There you go. That's my auntie. But you also yeah. as well forgot one, which is obviously when he says, get to the chopper. Oh, yeah, but that's further down the track, mate. Now you're talking Billy and all the boys. <laughs> anyway, so obviously it's a really silly question. Have both of you seen Rocky? Yes, of course. Yes. I have yes. a brother and my brother-in-law is Italian, so what are you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I was very late to the piece, though, to be fair. It wasn't only for a, a few years back that I actually stripped, sat down and strapped into the, the Rocky saga, to be fair. I was very late to the piece. I think I watched Rocky when uh, I was definitely, like, in my early teens, maybe even earlier, because my brother and my dad, I think, watched it. It might have even been before I was 10, because um, I remember I loved that it. it was like a love story. So there was kind of something for what I would consider girls back then, you know, the whole Adrian and Rocky thing. Um, and my brother and yeah. everyone were just more excited about the fight scenes and the, the music and all that sort of stuff. So I've seen them all countless times. I have to say from what I, from, from seeing Rocky, what actually surprised me is obviously it is, a, it's still a relatively smotsy film. But the first half of the movie is that is actually a very kind of kitchen sink kind of drama where it's where, you know, you see a guy who's almost living paycheck to paycheck. You know, he's living in a very small apartment, you know, he's kind of down on his luck. And just to see him in that kind of environment and also credit and also credit to the film where it actually takes its time to get to, I think, the, you know, the training montages and, and the end fight and things like that. That's something that that's that, that actually surprised me when I first watched it because because again I think it was emblematic of all of all of the sequels afterwards where it's like it was all just basically a training montage of Rocky you know training and then you had those you know then you had you know Ivan Drago uh, Drago Drago and you know and it kind of it may or may not have become its own pastiche in a way yeah they all built up mm. to the, the ultimate fight at the end that was what the they were all like that, and that's what you were waiting for to see what would happen with the fight. I guess what you to a person watching it for the first time back in the day, trying to get a gauge of where this was going. You're right. That first thirty to forty minutes, you're kind of like, "All right, cool. This is just a guy offering minimal chat, and and you know, not not in great areas with his you know with his boxing and just quite quite dusty to be fair. And then obviously they kind of like see the leans towards that love interest. But yeah, it's because Stallone. Stallone wrote that movie, mm. though. Yeah, in three days. Yeah, three did. days he wrote it in. That's next level. I think we all, I, honestly, while we're talking about love stories, I think we all owe it to ourselves to do an Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. You can't talk about Rocky and not do right. an Adrian. Ready? And Sarah. Uh, and Sarah. You go yeah. first then. <laughs> Ready? One, two, three. Adrian! <laughs> See, I want to take you one better, and I want to go to the first time you hear a decent Adrian, and that's from when he's um, watching himself at the at, at Adrian's house. He's watching himself on TV at the press conference between him and um, Apollo Creed, and he's like, Adrian, <laughs> it's me, Rock. <laughs> There you go. There's mine. Quickly, we obviously cannot talk about Rocky without the "It's Gonna Fly Now" theme tune, where you see him just running up the steps of the Philadelphia Museum, and you hear the da 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 da. Oh, look! That's one of the most iconic. 
It's one of the most iconic things. It, it, you'll, it's probably one of the OG montage movies, right? It's it's what really stipulated a, a banger track behind a montage training sequence, whether it be any format of sport. You could hands down put Stallone and Rocky up as potentially one of the OGs. I could be wrong here. It could be more, but yeah, he's punching cows. He's wearing his gray sweat. He's running up the steps. He's doing all that. I mean, name me another film where you've got a well, actually, probably that's a silly question. You probably name a bootload of films where you've got decent montages like that. But I think you're right in terms of it was a little bit the first of its kind. I think if you look at Rocky now and you think that is that is the template for the classic underdog sports movie, including like the montage mm. is pretty much there like beat for beat. And then you think back and you go, actually, that's quite something for a movie like that to, to do that. And also as well, even though that as much as I love the it's going to fly now theme tune it has become one of the most annoying ring ringtones of all time it's one of those few tunes that even if people haven't seen the movie if they heard that sound that that music and someone said what what song is and what movies is from everyone would know it's from rocky i guarantee you people wouldn't even have to say it's rocky they'd just stand up start jumping up and down with their hands in the air and start throwing <laughs> a few what was funny was um before I moved to Australia, I worked as a like a freelance film journalist and I would be lucky enough to go to press conferences and all that kind of stuff. And I remember I went to the press conference for the first Expendables movie and that's where in the room you had, you know, Stallone, Statham, Lundgren, you know, like all the guys. And literally as soon as like Stallone walked in, you actually had a couple of 40-year-old males play that Rocky theme <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and Stallone loved it because he you know he even did like the fist pump kind of thing he you know he did all that kind of stuff and you go all right fair play to him because it would have been easy to be like oh you know that's like behind me kind of thing but nah he still knows he still knows where his core audience lies well didn't his brother write one of the sure. songs for that movie as well I'm sure his brother Frank oh, Stallone right do you mean big, big, big Frank? Yeah, because he was in the movie. I, I remember he was in the movie because he was like a street performer or something. I remember that. Just actually another couple of things. So obviously Rocky is a movie. It did win three Oscars. It was winner of Best Picture of that year, Best Director and Best Film Editing. It's the first sports movie to win a Best Picture Oscar. Wow. And also as well, the, the director... John John G. Alvidson also directed another film that we'll be showing at Fed Square in the next iteration, which is Karate Kid. Oh. And one other quick nerdy thing as well is that that famous sequence, obviously when, when he's running up the steps, bring it back to that, is that, that I think that's the first motion picture to ever use the Steadicam. Oh, right. So a cam is actually where a camera is attached to a metal pole, which is also as well attached to the camera person. And it's actually kind of balanced by weights. And so by doing that, it actually enables the camera oper operator to actually glide the camera around. So you can do various kind of moving shots, all that kind of stuff. So think of it more as a gimbal now, basically. A gimbal in its own way is actually a Steadicam. But back in 1975, 76, it was created by a camera operator called called Garrett Brown. And there's f fun little trivia. like to actually help sell um, the Steadicam, he he actually he he actually took a shot of his girlfriend at the time running up those steps, up those exact same steps at the Philadelphia Art, Art Museum. And so when obviously so when obviously the production hired them, it was like several months later he was back. There again, pretty much repeating that same camera movement, and then has now obviously gone on to make millions and millions and millions of dollars and patented, you know, the whole steady cam operation and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's a little kind of fact about um, about about the steady cam. That's awesome. I did not know yeah. that at all. But you're right. It's a really iconic. It's an iconic shot, isn't it? At the top of the stairs. Well, I'm going to segue to an interesting fact from the movie as well here, Ben, for you. So you know how there's that famous date scene where they go to the ice skating rink? Yep. Mm. Apparently they wanted to originally do it in operating hours, um, but because it would have cost so much money to pay for extras and whatnot, they decided to bin it and just have it to themselves and make it more 
you know. It would have. You know, it gives them the 10-minute warning yeah, to get out. It was nice that they were by themselves. It made it more romantic. Yeah. I like that. So do I. I thought it definitely would have added more. To, it adds more to it. It's like that scene from Happy Gilmore when he's going to ice skating. Right <laughs> that shot. Same thing. Well, here's a little fun fact. Can you imagine this? Rocky, when he first pitched it to the studios, they actually wanted James Kahn or Burt Reynolds um, to play Rocky. And the only reason that they essentially he got away with being able to play it himself is that they paid him such crappy money for the film rights that he was able to put himself in the role. But can you imagine Rocky with like Bert, with anyone other than Sylvester Sloan? I can't. Like Burt Reynolds in that moustache, nah. I don't think so. <laughs> the moustache would have got whacked off. <laughs> he would have wiped off his face. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's just crazy to me. And the dog in the movie was um, his dog too, yeah. that big great dame. That's his dog too. They, um, I, I think, from memory, I don't know if this is correct or not. I think they bought it for the movie. No, he sold it for the he sold his dog to to pay for something for the movie. And then after the movie came out, he bought the dog back, but they charged him like some astronomical fee to get his dog back. There you go. I'll tell you one thing that we haven't really touched on here, and this is again, um, I mean, both the boys have got extensively good rigs in in this film. You know, for nineteen seventy six where nowadays you'd probably have nutritionists, you'd have a trainer, you'd have, you know, da 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 da. Let's be fair, the boys are you know, they're they're pretty solid. Like you see them in the ring and they're flying around. They're both built up and obviously, you know, it's because Rocky's been training in the film. But in real life, the boys would have to do some serious work back in the day. And and obviously this is coming from a guy who supposedly had what, hundred and six dollars in his bank account before he threw the plot to it to anybody that would pick it up. So just going to put that out there and tell me what your guys' thoughts are. Well, you can see from Rocky, like the first Rocky, through to even Rocky Five, his physique completely changes. Because in the first one, he's probably more what you would associate with a traditional boxer, like a really fit, very lean um, boxer. And then as it sort of progresses, he turns into like the big beefcake Rocky and gets a lot bigger. But, yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I mean... I, I couldn't understand why he was punching meat in the movie when that had to be explained to me, like, what all that was about. But apparently they do, that that is a method that boxers use because it resembles the pressure that hitting another person feels like. But, I mean, I can't imagine going into a freezer and punching cows. That's <laughs> not my idea of fun. I think in a weird way you could say that they were they're probably – May sound really silly, but I would even say that they were the that they I think sport um, sporting men and women were probably treated as superheroes back in those days. And also, if you think about around about that time, there really weren't very many comic book movies. I mean, I don't even think Superman, the first Superman, I don't know, no, the first Superman movie would have been released by then, but there wouldn't have been anything else. And so I think like it was a way of kind of. It was at the beginning of the, you know, of of I of I think that whole like macho mentality, which is like if you want it, you can take it. If you work hard enough, you'll you'll kind of get it, kind of thing. And also as well, probably actually position them in a in a way of like these are like glamorous gladiators, you know, yeah. who are fighting, and so they need to have the physique like to match it. Whereas like if you were to compare. Mm. Obviously, Rocky to even something like a raging bull. De Niro's physique in that movie is completely different yeah. To, yeah. to Rocky. Now, obviously, there'll be two different boxers, absolutely. But you'd say one is obviously much more glamorized, much more ro- romanticized than the other. And that in its own way kind of, you know, I think I think replicates, I think, the mentality the mentality of the filmmakers and, pro- and probably also I think the mood of the mood of America at that point, because at the beginning of the seventies, you would even say that America very much lost its innocence, you know, going through Watergate and Richard Nixon, the Vietnam war and all that kind of stuff. And maybe towards kind of the end of the seventies, going into this, going into the eighties, you feel like, you know, I think after I think the, the mental state of the United States, it needed to, create images for themselves to make them to make them feel better to make them you know to to make them feel much more glamorous and much more you know and much more of a fighter you would say 
Um, and yeah. so, yeah, and so obviously on that, you know, Rocky at Fed Square, you know, it's uh, it's gonna it's gonna be at Fed Square on Sunday, the twenty eighth of Feb, from four pm, and um, on the digital facade. So also on sun on Sunday, the fourteenth of March, our next summer of classic film is The Goonies, um, which obviously at Fed Square we have shown before. I think it was. Uh, when was it? It was definitely last year, um, but I, but, but, but of, but of someone who has, you know, bad, I just can't remember when we did it. But anyway, quickly. I think quick well, no, it was. I think it was in Jan, twenty twenty. But I've got a funny feeling the night that we played it, it was not great weather. So. No, I remember it was. No, I remember it was in March, but I think it was just around the first COVID pandemic lockdown of last year. That's when we right, showed it. Okay. Right, um, okay. But again, no, I'm with you. Yeah, no, I I, I actually think it, yeah, it, it was, you know, there's quite a bit of rain and probably the mental, yeah, just not a great place to watch it. But anyway, a very, very quick synopsis, which is obviously The Goonies is a is an old-fashioned yarn about a band of adventurous kids who, 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 who take on the might of a property developing company which plans to destroy their home to build a new to build a new country club when the children discover an old pirate ship in the attic they follow it into an underground cavern in search of of lost treasure but come up against plenty of dangerous obstacles along the way now quick question who directed the goonies oh steven Sp- no he was a producer steven spielberg i'm pretty sure no he was a producer yeah who was the director yeah it, it was it- um, this is gonna rough me. Was it uh, um, was it someone well known? Like, would we know them by yeah, name? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I should know this. I'll come back to it. It wasn't just a copper pot, was it? <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. Come on, guys. They look confused. Man. I was like, Ben, come on. <laughs> yeah, he does. I'm glad it's a podcast because if there's any visuals on your face, Ben, this would be just a copper pot. Was it George Lucas? No, no, I know that. No, I know Spielberg directed some. He directed some of the scenes, but not all of it. it was yeah, more of I remember he was him, associated with it, but I can't remember who directed. But it. what's really interesting, though, is that is that quite a few people recognise that movie as a Spielberg movie, as as a film that he directed himself. Especially also in the nineteen eighties, like he's like if you look at all the movies he made, whether he produced or directed it's like in his own brand. Like you can identify it's a Spielberg movie despite the fact that he's only, you know, he may have just done the story or only produced it or that kind of stuff. I've always just found that interesting. Yeah, no, I, there's a long time there I thought it was Spielberg as well. But I know for I know this. Can you get, okay, can you give me, for half a point, can you give me the initials of this, Bruce? I, I know. Oh. Um, I have no idea. Uh, Donna, Donna. Donor, donor, Richard Donor. Yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. well done. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I needed, he, I needed that. He also, as another one, he also directed the original Superman movie, the first one with Christopher Reeve, the original Omen. Well, I know that. Yeah, I know the Superman because there's, isn't there, there there's like a, like a, the reason why uh, Sloth in the film has the Superman as a, as a, like a, as a salute to the director. Yeah. Sloth. Um, and also, and also, after after he made the Goonies, he then directed he then directed the Lethal Weapon movies. Yeah, there's another one that I was thinking of. Anyways, um, Goonies, one of the all-time greats. Best movie. One of the all-time Best greats. movie. I reckon I would have. Oh, I, I don't want to know how many times I've seen this. Yeah, film. I can't. I can't. Way, yeah. And it's funny because. But in a way, like it's one, it's one of those best films to watch when you're like eight, nine years old for the first time. Like it's that proper yeah. archetypal like wish fulfillment kids adventure movie. It's like you really want to be in those group of kids, and you really want to oh, be yeah. on that. Yeah. Oh God, that you know, because the thing is, it had something for everyone. Like every person I knew had different experiences that they loved within that movie, whether it be. You know, the comedy factor, whether it be that you're on like a treasure hunt, whether it be, you know, you're a girl and you've got the, a crush on Brandon, whatever it was, 
there was this huge, you know, everyone always found something they loved about that movie. And there was, I've got Argy, I've lost count how many times I've watched it. I think the first time I ever saw it was at the cinema because I remember getting, like, you remember back in the day where you would buy, like, one of those cups, you know, the branded cups and whatever, and I remember there was a treasure map that came with it. And I thought it was so cool. <laughs> I wanted awesome. to frame it. It was that's, like, that's, yeah, it was some crap, yeah. crappy piece of paper. But I remember seeing it in the movies. I don't know if it was, might have been when they just started to have, like, the big cinemas, like the bigger cinemas, like where you'd have, like, three or four cinemas in a complex as opposed to just the one. What year was it made? Oh, I reckon it, I'm pretty sure it came out when I was seven. So it would have been, like, 84 or 85 maybe. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. Yeah, I'm showing my age, showing my age here, but yeah, I was seven. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I went for my grade one birthday. I'm pretty sure because I remember it being something to do with my birthday. So it must have been out around the same time that I had turned seven. And you also think in 1985 that like that was also the same year in which Back to the Future came out, which is another Spielberg production. And there's a part of you like you like you release those two movies in a year, and you've effectively created like you know you've effectively created so many childhood memories just from those two movies. In and the ways. soundtracks, Cindy oh. Lauper, all through the night from the Goonies. Yeah. It's on my it was one of my ringtones for a while. So, who was your favorite character in the movie? Come on, who was your favorite? Oh, snap. Without, without a doubt. Hey, you guys. <laughs> baby, baby. Joel. Rocky Road, that's right. Sloth. Oh. It was awesome, man. That, that, that Sloth is just a, such a good, he's such a good add in there for like, because back in the day he, he was scary. You know, you used to see him down there chained up and you just buzz out. Uh, but it's quite cool how him and Chunk form that cool, that bond. You know, they're a whole different kind of plot line that's just lingering in the background because they're just left there. Um, but, you yeah, know, I would definitely say for me it was definitely And were you guys scared of, just were the, you scared of, like, the fr- Mama Fratelli? I thought she was terrifying. I was so scared of her. Uh, yeah. The Fratelli brothers and Mama yeah, Fratelli. Especially... I was like, oh, God, I wouldn't want to be locked in that Mama restaurant. <laughs> Mama Fratelli was, especially wanted to make a puree of it. <laughs> And his tongue, that's right in the blender. Chunk. Yeah. That's right. Oh, God. Well, everyone, while we're talking about Chunk, you can't talk about Chunk without talking about the Truffle Shuffle. Every person I know taught themselves the Truffle Shuffle. (laughs) Again, to be honest, if we if if we if we ever wanted to do a um, you know, a bet around about people in the square, I wonder how many people when 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 he does do the truffle shuffle. I wonder how many people in the square will also do the truffle shuffle in the truffle shuffle. Yeah. Well, it takes a bit of guts, literally, to do it in the square. <laughs> you should. You, you should that, that, that could be. That could be another activation. You know how you always get those things. Random people are like people gathering to do the uh, Owen Wilson. Um, what was that one that recently everyone was there's like a Facebook group or a society around the world that Owen Wilson, you know, does the oh wow. So people came together just to do the oh wow. You could get a big group of people to come in and and do the or truffle like a shuffle. truffle shuffle flashball. Is that what we're asking people? Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Get it going. Oh, there were so many iconic actors in this though. Like there was you had oh. Corey Falburn, who was now. You had uh, Sean Aston, who obviously he went on to do a lot of other stuff. What was the girl's name? I always forget. Josh Brolin, it was his first movie, and every girl I know was in love with him in that movie. Like Brandon, he was the best yeah. Um, And then I can't, I, I always forget her name, but she was in every possible 80s movie I ever saw. Was that blonde girl who was in the movie? Martha Clinton? Martha Plimpton, that's it. Yeah, she she was in so many eighties movies that I saw. She she is she she is an iconic eighties looking yeah, character though yeah. as well. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Without being too stereotypical there. But speaking of the eighties, the one thing I do enjoy about the Goonies, and having watched it, having watched it recently as well, is uh, you forget how um, back in the day how much there is product placement. 
like I'm sure the Goonies was sponsored by Domino's, Nike, and Pepsi. To be fair, <laughs> Pepsi. Pe- Pepsi chimes in there a, a, a number of times, and then obviously everyone shoots are those mint old school '80s Nikes. Like if you could get a pair of those in there, like what's um, Josh Brolin's character's name again in the movie? Brandon. Brandon. He was Brandon. He was the job. Brandon. It yeah. is Brandon. Yeah. 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 You know how they, you know, they tie him to the chair. That's right. Because you know, like, he's always using those. He's always working out. Yeah, yeah, they wrap him around the chair, and he falls back on it. Brings up these red and white Nikes. I tell you what, pair a pair of those in your closet, you'd be a happy man. What was the name of the character that had all the gadgets? I always wanted all the gadgets that he had, even though half of them failed. I was like, oh, oh, data. data. Yeah. Oh, I don't know God. the actor's name, but I know, I know Data is here. here. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was so cool. Yeah, well, he was. He, yeah. he was. All, he was also. I can't remember if this was before or after he was in the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, because he was. Because he was yeah. around in that movie as well. That's right. Another Steven Spielberg movie. So okay, the big question is here: is out of all the massive actors, who went away with possibly the biggest movie after that? I would say straight after you know, that, run. or like. Or, or years down the line. No, no just, just, just years down the track. Who's got the best? Okay, we'll start off with who's got the best portfolio in terms of just a wider, wider array of movies, and then who's potentially got the best movie under their belt. And you know where I'm leaning. Yeah, I know, but yeah. I say the first one. I've already pre- <laughs> the first one will probably be Josh Brolin, because he obviously, yeah, you sure. know, No Country for Old Men, even even Milk. And obviously being milk, he got a, he got a, he got an Oscar, he got an Oscar nod. For yeah, milk he did. As well. Yeah, and then obviously the two Avengers movies. Yeah, yep. Thanos. But I know, I think the last one is obviously Samwise. Who was Samwise? Sh- Sean Austin, My- Mikey. Oh. He went on to be um, Samwise Gamgee in Lord yeah, of the Rings. Yeah, and he's also in Fifty First Date. That was one of my favorite movies that he was in. He's That's been- true. He's been in a. He's actually quite. He's actually quite funny in Fifty First Dates as well. Yeah, I think he's funny. I like Sean. I mean, you could even say was it Corey Feldman probably had a good, decent, like nineteen eighties period because he was also in oh, was Stand he, by he Me, was Lost a, Boys. Lost Boys is another one. Lost Boys is awesome. There was uh, Corey Feldman. He was in uh, Dream a Little Dream. Oh, God, he was in so many movies in the 80s. Between him and Corey Haim, they were always at least one of them. Because Corey Haim was actually, he, yeah, he, he, he auditioned like... for that same role. They both auditioned and, and Corey Feldman got it. Stand By Me, that's another which we show, we're showing as part of our summer. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, Corey Feldman kind of fell off the, he fell off the rails a wee bit after his childhood yeah. success though, right? Yeah. Didn't he? Didn't oh, he yeah, now he's just, yeah. Yeah, there's been a few things that you know. Was he, was, thing, he was he he was um he was you could see how switched on he was. He was a, he's a good character, in this, especially when he's walking around with the the mum's new Spanish, um, she doesn't speak a wink of English, and he's walking around and he's like kind of um <laughs> he's just saying complete utter nonsense and being the translator <laughs> in the piece and just scaring the shit out of her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that actually. Yeah, Mouth was hilarious. He, I remember that scene in the end. Oh, I still can't watch it. It makes me feel like I don't know. I don't know. It gives me like a reaction in my throat seeing all of the jewelry that he stuffs in his mouth. That Mama Fratelli pulls out oh, like all yeah. the pearls when they when they see that when he stuffs all the stuff the jewels in his mouth. I can't watch it. It makes me feel like I'm going to be sick. <laughs> but um, yeah, he was a classic in this movie. He was like you know. <laughs> One of actually the other things about this movie was that there was always rumors about a sequel, you know, for for the Goonies. Even even actually to this day, people still want, or there are still discussions about a sequel. Would you ever want a sequel? I don't know. I've got a weird. It's like labyrinth. You need to leave some things Mm. alone. Like, in my opinion, like leave the classics be. Like a lot of this recent thing where they're remaking everything, you know, from Ghostbusters to a whole bunch. Like, just leave the classics alone. Like they're, you know, they stand alone for they stand for themselves. They don't need. I don't know how you would do a sequel to this. What does the ship come back? Like, what happens? (laughs) 
like on another guitar, like does someone else's house nearly get sold off? Like what happens? See, I'd be, I'd be more inclined to do like a side piece and just have sloth and chunk. And yeah. it's just a story about them trying to, trying to get sloth back into just modern day society. Yeah, you know? the adventures of just, sloth just and chunk. the trials and tribulations of that relationship. Yeah, yeah I've yeah, that for sure. That would be more of my segue there. Um, yeah, I would but I think that. you're right. I think so. I, I I go to a weird place when it comes to um, to sequels. Like, look, it's few and far between where you ever get a sequel that's going to be on par, if not better. I could probably only name on my hand a few films where the second movie is better. And actually, funnily enough, I believe one of those ones we talked about earlier, which is Aliens. I think that's better than Alien. Yeah, yeah. I also think Terminator Two is better than Terminator One, but this is a completely Godfather Two. Um, Godfather 2 is better than the first one. Godfather 2, actually, yeah, you're right. The classic ones like this, I think you're right. I don't think you you shouldn't touch them. And you've seen that with, I think comedies seem to be one of the ones where they they seem to go to, like I know that Dumb and Dumber, another one we talked about, when they released that, and I was so excited because I'm such a big fan of that movie and that, you know, they had Jeff Daniels, had Carrie back, and it had the Farley brothers doing it again. And I was like, sweet, there's no way they're going to butcher this. And sure enough, they, they... they did. They. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's don't the same thing it. with Anchorman Two, where it's like Anchorman Two. I was so excited, and yes. even though it wasn't bad, but it just wasn't as funny as as the first one. So it's all. Like, but do you yeah. think it's kind of also? Do you think the thing that plays into it a little bit as well is that when you see a movie for the first time, you don't have an expectation. You're like, you know, you go in hoping a little Without bit, a but you don't know. You don't know for sure if it's going to be good or not. And then once you've seen it and it's something that you just love, 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 going to see the second one, you've already got this, you know, fairly high expectation. So, of course, it's going to be really hard for, for someone to come up with a film that either meets that expectation or even comes close to it because you've already got a preset, you know, idea of what that those characters are and what the movie's about. And so trying to recreate that without doing the same story would be really hard i think i can't i wouldn't want to do it yeah i think and especially with comedies the worst thing they can do and what they do do is they they regurgitate the same jokes and yeah. if not they take it they take it too far and then also in going back to what you said with anchorman i think one thing i didn't like about that is they gave brick too much of a character i don't mm. think he was necessary he's just a guy in the background who has a few cameo lines and doesn't do too much Second one, they try to really emphasize him as a person, and he did too much. Was that Steve Carell? Yeah, was that I mean, was that him? That, yeah, 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 Steve Carell. How, yeah. Oh, I have to um, be Anchorman two when they when they got the perms in Anchorman two. I did think that was rather. Funny. Actually, no, I, <laughs> I love the perms. <laughs> if there was, actually, I, I one thing with Anchorman two is I really do like. I think when they were, I think when they were doing their twenty four seven like news channel and then and then you actually had Rob Burgundy commentating on the whole like freeway car chase for like four or five hours. I found that to be quite funny. Actually just thinking yeah. about it, I was just thinking then, if you look at a lot of the movies, not all of them, but most of them as part of Summer of Classic Films, a lot of them have that same kind of arc. Like they're all about a journey, about overcoming some type of adversity. You know, getting together as a, you know, like the stand by me, a group of mates doing something together. Goonies, a group of mates doing something together. Rocky, you know, overcoming and, and beating, you know, and becoming this this champion. Like they're all stories that have a good feeling about them in the end. Like you leave feeling, you know, good. You don't have that um, yeah. that that feeling that sometimes you get. You know, I've seen some amazing movies lately, but, you know, I will say that when you finish watching it, you're like, oh, gosh. I've lost the will to live a little bit like that. <laughs> but these are all like quite lighthearted, <laughs> fun. And wholesome. Yeah, like family movies. So while some of those 80s jokes might not be what you would consider necessarily as politically correct as what they should be nowadays, I think the overall feeling that you get from the movie is one that is good and sort of lighthearted and, and family friendly and um, they all have a like a, a unique story to tell um, and they all talk about friendship. There's a lot of them have, you know, a lot of those movies are centred around friendships as well, which is um, a nice theme as well. So yeah. personally, you know, I've made it very clear to Ben, my favourite one is going to, and I can't wait for us to talk about it, is Labyrinth. That's my <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't realise this, but I was doing some, I was doing some Googling 
And did you know that, because I was trying to figure out who played Sloth, obviously, because you can't see with all the makeup on. I didn't realize it was an in, as an NFL um, player from the Oakland Raiders. Um, oh, what? Yeah, he got two, he had two um, championship ranks. Well, he was a big so guy. Must, I one, mean, whoever it was, two, was a big guy. Yeah, won two Super Bowls for the Oakland Raiders. How awesome is that? Did he do the voice was, and everything as well, or was it just like the the? I'm not too, I'm not too sure, but he was first pick overall in 1973. There I don't you know go. how many. I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe I'm just an idiot with my friends, but I don't know how many times where if I've fallen back and they've sort of walked ahead, I scream out the whole "Hey, you guys!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's <laughs> it gets old for me, anyways. <laughs> oh no, I think you're right. I think if you can if you can get any any good quote from a comedy or just any kind of film quote into the context of a day-to-day situation, it's worth multiple yeah. points in my mind. And did you guys, was it just me, but even as an adult, when I watch The Goonies now, still that first time when they all come down the water slide and hit the water and they see one I really ship, I still get goosebumps. I get so excited that they found the ship. And I don't know, even as an adult, I, I get excited when I see it. It's so cool. Oh, absolutely, because be, cause it always, because it, it's one of those moments when you know it's coming, but it still always takes you back to when you were, you know, yeah. like seven, like seven years old, like seeing it like for the first time, and it just kind of takes you back. So with that, um, the Goonies will be showing at Fed Square on Sunday, the 14th of March at 4 p.m. And that is and that is the end uh, of our first Fed Films podcast. I'd like to thank Luke and Sarah for joining me today. And one-eyed Willie. <laughs> yeah. And Chester Copperpot. And Chester Copperpot and Rocky. You know, they're all characters yeah. themselves. <laughs> They're all they're all here in spirit, mate. I should say that obviously our next Fed Films uh, podcast episode will be um, where we will be talking about Little Shop of Horrors and the original Karate Kid. Daniel San, nice. Wax on, wax on. Yeah. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us. <laughs>